Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the boneheads, Ryan Howard, and tonight we are going to be talking about running a Western game. Uh, This is something that has been uh, on my mind quite a bit recently, uh, just because the Deadlands, uh, the Weird West Kickstarter is shipping... Um, I'm expecting my copy any day now. We'll do something when it gets here, some kind of, uh, unboxing or something like that. Yes, you can, you can see my paint supplies behind me there. So you know that I'm serious about all this. Uh, for anyone who is audio exclusive, which is, uh, most of you, uh, the area behind me is my designated painting area, and it is... An organized mess, I think is the best way to put it. Everything's in drawers. It doesn't look amazing, but everything is organized in a way that I can, you know, easily find stuff if I need it. Basically, it's it's all kind of taken care of as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, that's this is my office. This is uh, this is where I do my work and where I have fun. I do a lot in this room, this this tiny little room. Um, anyway, tonight, like I said, we were going to talk about Western games. Uh, this is another How Ryan Would Run episode. And this one's a little bit different from the others. Uh, Western games, I feel like, are worlds apart from what we discussed with Star Wars and superheroes because... Western games, more so than either of those two, for one, they're not tied to a specific IP. Uh, Superheroes don't necessarily have to be, but when you're playing a superhero game, a lot of IPs come to mind uh, that very much kind of influence the way that you would, uh, you know, think to run your game. Uh, Definitely the way that you interact with your players. Um, But... With Western games, what you're dealing with is a situation that's actually very similar to what you would have in a Dungeons & Dragons type setting. Uh, There's a lot of potential for high adventure and shenanigans and fun. Well, there's potential for fun in any role-playing game, but, you know, the the potential for D&D type fun to take place... In a uh, in a Western game, the, the potential is there. It's great, um, and there, there's a lot to talk about with that. Uh, so uh, let's get right into it. 
Uh, first things first, I'm going to talk a little bit about westerns in general, the different you know tones and things that you can you can do within a western setting, and then about halfway through, I'm going to show you guys some resources for running a Wild West RPG. So, westerns. Uh, for anyone who's not from the U.S. and isn't familiar with the genre, westerns refers to tales about the American frontier in the, uh, specifically in the 19th century. Now, there's some wiggle room in there as far as what constitutes a western. The notion of it being frontier is of utmost importance. Uh, tip, typically, actually, not even typically, it's mandatory. Uh, your, your westerns have to be set west of the Mississippi River. And most of them are set between the Civil War, the, the American Civil War, and the dawn of the 20th century, you can go as far as the start of World War I for kind of the, the boundaries of a Western. And they deal with characters on the frontier uh, basically just trying to live their lives, trying to tame an untamed land, uh, you know, trying to run away from their pasts, and create a new future for themselves. Uh, it's a lot of rugged individualism. It's a lot of danger around every corner. It takes a, a, hard, a hard person to live in the West. That's what a lot of Western stories end up being. Now, there's a lot of room in there as far as... Uh, kinds of stories you can tell, tones that you can tell. Uh, so I'm going to go over to my notes here and go through some of these uh, types of westerns that are typically told. So within westerns, you have genres, is, is the best way to put it. There, there, there are sub-genres of westerns that definitely differentiate uh, you know for, from each other I'm not explaining this very well so I'll just I'll jump in and, and tell you guys uh, what I'm trying to talk about here so first of all first one we have to talk about is the uh, the pulp western or the heroic western these are emblematic of Western movies that are made in the 1930s all the way through the 1960s. Um, shows like Bonanza and Gunsmoke are very much like this. The Lone Ranger is probably the most quintessential uh, example of a pulp Western. Basically... Uh, your heroes are bold, dashing, square-jawed, uh, wearing a white cowboy hat. They're do-gooders. They're lawmen. Uh, you know, just trying to trying to do what's right and uh, you know, fighting the bad guys when they have to. 
that kind of stuff. That's what you're dealing with. Your bad guys are going to be, you know, wearing black hats. Uh, they're going to be tying women to railroad tracks and, uh, you know, shooting miners and stuff like that. Miners being people working in mines, not kids. Uh, that's that's a different genre of, uh, of westerns. Yes, you don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And as far as Elfie's suggestion of uh, listening to Patrick Stewart's Cowboy album, I don't know if that actually exists, but that video's hilarious. Patrick Stewart singing cowboy songs is, in fact, hilarious. But yeah, it, a game like this, you, you'd be looking at something that's very lighthearted, very, very much in the, uh, the spirit of fun. Uh, not so much the kind of, you know, dark and gritty and uh, crazy stuff that you can get into with other genres. It's very much like a, a kid's version of the Wild West. Now, from there, we get into Spaghetti Westerns. Spaghetti Westerns become very popular. They, they show up in the 60s. They become very popular in the 1970s. This is where uh, Clint Eastwood's career really comes from. And they're called Spaghetti Westerns because the, uh, the pioneers of this particular type of Western, um, they were made in Italy by Italian directors. Most of the cast spoke Italian, and then they were dubbed in English. So this is where people like Sergio Leone make a name for themselves. Uh, the best example of this is the movie The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's the quintessential spaghetti western. And what sets these things apart from the other westerns uh, this is where the aspects of moral ambiguity come in. The protagonists of Spaghetti Westerns are not lawmen in white cowboy hats uh, get rounding up the bad guys, hanging them high, that kind of thing. The, the protagonists of Spaghetti Westerns are drifters, people with dark pasts, uh, people who maybe aren't afraid to shoot a man in the back if they have to. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood is the prime example of this for anyone who hasn't seen the Dollars Trilogy, which is a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, and then the aforementioned The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And... Basically, this is this is kind of your 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 gritty western in a lot of ways. Now you can get even grittier. Um, I'll talk about that with kind of the next uh, the next entry here. But yeah, Elfie, I I I've gone back and forth about making you watch the Dollars trilogy. You'd be bored. That's the thing about these Western movies. Um, 
any of them really. They're slow. Uh, a lot of these old ones can can be a bit of a slow burn. They're very long sometimes, uh, and if you don't like uh, cowboys shooting each other, then you're probably not going to enjoy them. But again, if you if you don't enjoy cowboys shooting each other, then why are you wanting to know about me? You know, running a western game. Anyway, spaghetti westerns. Uh, this is more of your your hard and heavy, hard boiled. Comes out of the the sixties and seventies cinema landscape. Morally ambiguous western. Now from there we get to historical westerns. This is stuff like Tombstone, Deadwood, uh, Outlaw Josie Wales to a certain extent. These are westerns that incorporate real events. Uh, in a lot of cases, real people. Uh, but the stories that they're telling are fictionalized. Um, the remake of True Grit would probably fall into this category. Um, the original would be a, a pulp western, because a lot of those John Wayne movies are pulp westerns. And these are not hard and fast as far as these uh, these genres go, but basically historical westerns are you know when when you want to portray events that may that happened or people who existed, but you want to do so in the fictionalized way. Uh, again, my my favorite my favorite western movie one of my favorite movies of all time is tombstone which is a historical western uh these can be very interesting if everyone at your table is interested in history if not uh i'd avoid this the deadlands incident which i've talked about several times on this show uh that that shows you what happens when you focus on history and no one else at the table cares Now, it's interesting about historical westerns, because they're fictionalized, you can, you can very easily mix this with either pulp westerns or spaghetti westerns. Um, you can do a gritty, morally ambiguous story that involves, you know, Billy the Kid or Jesse James, or, or someone like that, uh, that's... You can very easily go down the pulp route. You can also... Or the spaghetti route. You can also go down the pulp route with uh, in any of those old movies about Wyatt Earp. Uh, stuff like My Darling Clementine, Gunfight at OK Corral, uh, The Adventures of Wyatt Earp, the TV series... A lot of that stuff is very pulpy and very much, you know, Wyatt Earp is the upstanding good guy. The Cowboys are the bad guys. Um, the Cowboys being the Cowboys gang. Which for anyone who, I won't get into that because that's a whole thing. Watch the movie Tombstone. Uh, highly recommend it. Watch the movie Tombstone.
But anyway, you, you can kind of play fast and loose with history, either in the gritty direction or in the uh, heroic pulp direction, and it ends up working out. The last genre that I want to talk about here is Weird West. Weird West, uh, for anyone who's familiar with Deadlands, this is where kind of your, your knowledge of Deadlands would come in. These are... Th this is the closest to D&D &D that you'll get with a Western game. Basically, m magic, monsters, all of that stuff is present in a Wild West setting. So you've got, uh, you know, Native American shamans who can actually cast spells, and even, like, uh, Christian clergy casting spells and stuff like that. Uh, you've got monsters in the plains, lots of zombies. Uh, you know, zombies are a, a favorite for a lot of Weird West games. A ghost town may literally be a town populated with ghosts, that kind of stuff. That's that's Weird West. And again, with this, you can go super dark and gritty and scary. Uh, there's This isn't a full-on Weird West movie, but there's a movie called Bone Tomahawk, which is a Western horror movie. Very grisly. Um, I actually haven't seen Bone Tomahawk. But people tell me it's it is a, like a shockingly gruesome film. So take that into consideration before you show it to your kids. But then there's also stuff like Wild Wild West would probably also fall into the Weird West category because of the the gadgetry. It's it's a mixture of Weird West and pulp. Uh, not there's not any monsters or anything in Wild Wild West. The only monsters are the ones who made the 1997 movie. Um, but there's a lot of gadgets and steampunk stuff. Steampunk can be mixed with westerns. Uh, you'll see that a lot in, in the Weird West genre. Steampunk's an odd bird, though. Um, and something that I kind of have trouble with sometimes. I used to be super into it. Some people will argue that steampunk has to be specifically within the context of Victorian Britain. I have heard arguments otherwise that, you know, say you can do a Western steampunk very easily. A lot of the same things that happened uh, in Victorian Britain that led to kind of the speculative fiction of steampunk also happened in the U.S. just at kind of a different scale. Th there was a really great... Uh, panel that I attended. It was Jim Butcher, author of The Dresden Files, and author of a book called The Aeronauts Wendless, which is a steampunk book, talking to Sherry Priest, who is the author of the Clockwork Century series, uh, which I view as the quintessential American steampunk series. It's very much, in a lot of places, Wild West steampunk. Most of it's set around the Seattle area. It's very, very good. Bone Shaker is the first book, if anyone wants to give that a try. That's Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest. The series is called Clockwork Century. Very good. Highly recommend it. 
but they were talking and Sherry Priest made the argument that really put forward, you know, like with the Civil War, technology grew far beyond what it would have without a war because the two things that really push technology forward, uh, according to her, are the pornography industry and war, which is true. Um, the other arguments that she made were kind of comparing and contrasting what people view as the, uh, the trappings of Victorian England that make it explicitly, um, you know, that, that makes steampunk explicitly a Victorian thing, and she went through how those are present in American history as well. You've got, you know, industrialization, uh, in, in the British Empire, you had near-constant warfare. In the U.S., we just had one big war. And, well, actually, we did have constant warfare moving on from there, because you get into uh, the Indian Wars, the Lincoln County Wars. If you think of the Wild West as basically one long war campaign of, you know expansion eastward with the U.S. Army you know, moving across displacing Native Americans but also bringing eastern civilization to the west which a lot of people in the west were fleeing a lot of that's present too you've got social upheaval with, uh, you know, the, the ending of uh, de jure slavery and again, people moving out to this frontier area where the social hierarchies are not present because the infrastructure is not present and kind of just making their own hierarchies that that's very present in the Wild West on and on and on and basically what Sherry Priest did in uh, Clockwork Century is she made the Civil War last all the way into the 1880s. And it continues throughout the book. So that's where all the crazy technology comes from. You've got uh, oil-powered robots, basically, from Texas, where they discovered how to drill for oil. Um, some stuff is steam-powered. But it's it's a great series. It really is amazing. Lots of dirigibles, stuff like that. It's It's cool. But anyway, that's kind of covering your, your main genres there. Um, now, the next thing I want to talk about before we get into talking about the kind of stories that you can tell in Westerns, I want to talk about how Western games very much match what you get with uh, fantasy role-playing, specifically the D&D variety of fantasy role-playing. The three pillars of D&D, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before, are combat, exploration, and roleplay. A lot of games outside of the context of D&D don't have those things in the same supply that D&D has. For example, Star Wars offers all of those things. Um, they just look different. And they play out differently. And exploration doesn't just mean 
you know, we explore this land, it means we get in the ship and we go to another planet and explore that. Superhero games don't really offer the chance for exploration. Uh, be just due to the nature of superhero stories. You don't see a lot of comic books where characters are wandering around on quests or stuff like that. It's mostly we have to fight the villain, we have to save the city, that kind of stuff. Westerns, due to just the nature of westward expansion, exploration, an environment that wants to kill you, quite frankly, uh... All, everything's present there for a D&D &D type adventure. You could very easily have a quest-based dungeon crawl in a western setting. The dungeon would be a ghost town or an abandoned mine or um, you know maybe if you're playing somewhere in uh, like California or South Texas or something like that, they could be exploring Mayan ruins. That could be interesting. A Western game that explores um, some of the Mesoamerican side of things would be definitely very interesting. There's interactions with other, you know, factions, races. You've got all kinds of different people to interact with, and in some cases, all kinds of different creatures to interact with in a Western setting. So when it comes to stuff like this, a lot of times when I do these when I do these episodes, I tell you to check your D&D &D at the door. In this case, I honestly think you can let D&D &D inform your design philosophy in a Western setting, depending on the story you're trying to tell, obviously. Uh, just like not all fantasy games will end up being D&D, &D, but you can, you can let your spirit of adventure and your uh, design philosophy that you get from running D&D &D day in and day out, week in and week out, to help inform your, uh, your Western game. Now, you have to be careful that it doesn't just become reskinned D&D. That's very... That, that's an active possibility. Whenever you kind of let your D&D &D instincts drive, that's why a lot of games that aren't fantasy RPGs fall apart in a lot of, in a lot of uh, groups. So you'll need to be careful with that. But for the most part, all of the ingredients are there. If you've got a party who loves exploring, you can definitely explore a Western setting. If you, you know, they like roleplay... There's all kinds of stuff you can do with roleplay. Interactions with local law enforcement. Uh, you know, trying to keep the peace in the town. Dealing with uh, a gang running amok. Uh, helping the locals make peace with the local Native Americans. Dealing with the, the U.S. Army. The people who are out there running away from Eastern Civilization and the Native Americans and the conflict between the three. Uh, you see stuff like that in Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, which is a great example of Western storytelling. I'll be coming back to that in just a little bit. But yeah, that's... I wanted to talk about that before we get into the kinds of stories that you typically find in Westerns. 
Uh, so yeah, let's let's dig into some of the stories that you could tell mm-hmm. and uh, turn into adventures for your group. So, the first one I want to mention is the Defend the Town, uh, Last Stand, Tame the Town story. This, you know, these stories are a drifter comes into town or, uh, you know, townspeople hire some guns to defend them from uh, an outlaw group. Something is threatening a town or someone is threatening a town and an individual or individuals have to step up to defend it. A good example of this, historically, is the Alamo. The last stand at the Alamo in very, very early Western history. That's like the, that's the 1820s, so a little afield of what a true Western would be, but the spirit of the Alamo very much lives on in, uh, you know, what people do following those events uh, especially when it comes to you know storytelling like this but as far as movies go that have stuff like this you're looking at you know the magnificent seven uh high plains drifter another great clint eastwood movie tombstone hondo a great john wayne movie the man who shot liberty valance also a great john wayne movie uh, there's a movie in 2004 or 5, maybe even 2006, called Appaloosa with uh, Viggo Mortensen in it. Uh, that's very much in this vein. Pale Rider, another uh, great Clint Eastwood movie. He plays a, a circuit rider, a circuit preacher, rather. Just had to carmax it up there lips have been very dry today anyway those are your defend the town last stand uh examples if you want to see kind of how those stories play out in the movies uh but you know translating that to a role-playing game seems you know fairly straightforward your party comes into town uh they encounter maybe the gang that's causing trouble Or maybe they bring the trouble with them, uh, depending on kind of where in your story this this particular story happens. Maybe your your players bring the trouble with them and out of obligation feel the need to defend the town. Uh, To to give Elfie a shout here, the the Western episode uh, with Commander Worf and Alexander in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation... That is a Defend the Town Western. As is uh, Six Guns of the... Six Guns of the Apocalypse, I think is what it's called. The Red Dwarf episode. Let's see. Gunmen of the Apocalypse, that's what it's called. Great episode of Red Dwarf, by the way. Anyway, yes, that that's a defend the town episode. The uh, both gunmen of the apocalypse and uh, I, I can't remember the name of that war episode, but it's it's great. So 
The next uh, common Western story, The Manhunt. This is where... Oh, I, I just remember the name of that Star Trek episode. Fistful of Datas. That's what it was called. Because, again, reference to Fistful of Dollars. So yeah, Fistful of Datas from Star Trek is a Defend the Town Western. But anyway, Manhunt Westerns. You can tell these, you know, by, by the name. Um, it, it's about hunting someone. Whether that someone is someone who's been kidnapped, like in The Searchers or Big Jake, two amazing John Wayne movies. Whether they're hunting an outlaw, like in True Grit, or for a few dollars more. Revenge killing, like in Rio Lobo. Uh, I think Slow West also deals with a revenge killing. Basically, this is where the protagonists are hunting someone or something. They are actively searching out someone who was kidnapped or someone who uh, needs to be brought in. We'll see the reverse in just a couple minutes. But, you know, this is, uh, I mean, this is straight out of, like, something like The Witcher. Or, you know, any kind of hunt down this bad guy who's been causing trouble quest that you would send your party on in D&D. Uh, <clears throat> you know, this is... This is a great introductory adventure to get your players hooked on a Western world. Get just one second here. Sorry, I am a, a little bit congested, shall we say. Anyway, this is like, you could use this as, uh, you know, intro to Westerns 101, would probably just combine two naming conventions for college courses there. <clears throat> but if you're going to do the whole, you know, you meet in a saloon rather than a tavern, as I mentioned last time, perfectly acceptable. If you're going to do something like that, um... One of the best things to do is have someone's wanted poster there. And, you know, the party, especially if there's bounty hunters in the party. Uh, bounty hunters are a, uh, a big part of westerns. That could get them to work together. Going to chase down an outlaw. It's, uh, yeah. Excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> That's a, that's a great place to, like I said, start an adventure, get to know people, and, you know, give them a chance to do roleplay, to, you know, interact with the local law enforcement who put up the bounty, uh, interact with the townsfolk, find out who this person is, even interacting with the criminal, you know, exploration, you have to find him, you have to track him down, and combat, what happens when you find him? 
What happens when you find him and he's uh, got a gang of 15 men with him? Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. <clears throat> Means draw your gun for anyone, again, who hasn't seen Tombstone. So yeah, manhunts. After that, we get the, uh, the reverse situation of manhunts, that being outlaws on the run. So in this case, instead of hunting someone, the party is being hunted. This is where something like Red Dead Redemption or Red Dead Redemption 2... Red Dead Redemption is actually more of a manhunt scenario, uh, the, the first one. Since you're hunting down Bill Williamson, Javier Escuela, and then ultimately Dutch. But Red Dead Redemption 2 is Outlaws on the Run. Uh, through a misunderstanding or... Maybe something they actually did, depending on your party. If your party wants to wants to run Renegade, they might run afoul of some law enforcement or a Native American tribe or another gang of outlaws, but they'll be hunted. For inspiration here, you can see something like The Outlaw Josie Wales, another fantastic Clint Eastwood movie about... Uh, an ex-Confederate who refuses to turn himself in, goes on the run, goes into hiding. It's an interesting movie. You know, you, you say ex-Confederate, and in kind of the environment that we're in, uh, you know, with, with some of the historical background, you, you might immediately be uh, predisposed to dislike uh, Josie Wales. The interesting thing about the character of Josie Wales, though, he's not someone who fights for the Confederacy out of a belief in the the noble cause, as uh, some Confederates called it following the war. Josie Wales becomes a Confederate raider because the Union soldiers burn down his farm and kill his son and uh, <laughs> rape and kill his wife. So it's an exploration of, I'm not with you guys, I'm against them. And then having to turn himself over to that uh, that force that ruined his life and, and took him from being a farmer to being, um, you know, a man of action, a man of combat, a, a man who's lived by the sword. That's where kind of the complexity comes in with the outlaw Josie Wales. You can play, play into stuff like that with your characters where circumstances beyond their control have forced them basically into becoming outlaws. That's a great story to tell. And one that, you know, would bring in a lot of conflict and, you know, be something cool for your players. And if you want to go historical with this, uh, the movie with Brad Pitt, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Rob Ford or by the coward Robert Ford. That is a uh, that's a good movie. Again, it, it chronicles the the end days of Jesse James' life when he was again on the run, uh, had taken up the name. The last name he took was Howard. I always remember that because one, it's mine, and two, the the song. Uh, I think it's called the Ballad of Jesse James. Rob Ford was the coward that shot Mr. Howard and laid Jesse James in his grave. 
Bob Ford was the coward. Yeah. Great song. Bruce Springsteen on his, I think it's called, what's that? Bruce Springsteen did an Americana album where he sung that song. Let's see. Woody Guthrie also did a version of this. If we go down to his discography here. <clears throat> it is We Shall Overcome the Seeger Sessions. Yeah. And it's a tribute to Peter Seeger. But one of the songs that he sings is uh, Jesse James. <clears throat> Which is a fantastic song. I'll just reiterate. And he played it with... Um, <clears throat> He played it in a session with a bunch of, uh, like a bunch of rural uh, musicians. It, it's a great, I shouldn't talk about that album. I'll, I'll just start gushing about it. It's a great album, though, if you like that kind of thing. If you don't, then you won't enjoy it, because it's acoustic Americana music, and if you don't like Bruce Springsteen, you don't like Bruce Springsteen. So, but, anyway... That's enough of me talking about Bruce Springsteen. Let's get to the next kind of Western, that being the treasure hunt. You can definitely see where stuff like this comes in. Uh, especially, like, for, for D&D. &D. Whether it's, uh, you know, someone buried some Confederate gold out here. Um, we robbed a bank... Six years ago, we hid the money. Now we have to go find it. Uh, someone's moving gold in an armored wagon, like in the movie The War Wagon. Another great John Wayne film. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is a treasure hunt movie. There's all kinds of things to find out in the desert. And that, this gives you a lot of exploration. And in some cases, a lot of role-playing. One thing that might be interesting... This would be an interesting one-shot. Have a situation like the good, the bad, and the ugly, where everyone is after that treasure. They're not necessarily friends. Maybe they're even hostile towards each other. Everyone has a different goal for what they want to do with that treasure, though. And at the end, when they find it, play out what happens. Be an interesting one-shot. Is someone... You know, is the party going to work together? Do they decide to split it? Does someone want to double cross? Good stuff. Not great for a campaign, unless you're looking to end a campaign this way. But great for a one-shot, in my opinion. 
now treasure hunt without those elements is perfectly fine for a campaign it'd be a, a great situation there now next story is the escort across the plains this is where something like 310 to yuma comes in uh both the original and the remake with russell crowe good movie as well i used to not like it but i also used to be a jackass uh i still am a jackass in a lot of ways but i used to hate that movie for the wrong reasons mostly because uh christian bale was in it and i went through a phase where i hated christian bale but anyway basically you have to take someone or something because uh, this also would apply to like a cattle drive like you see in rawhide or lonesome dove where you have to uh basically safely escort someone or something to another town across the plains where you're dealing with outlaws who want what you have cattle rustlers if you've got a uh you know a cattle drive uh People who want the outlaw that you're taking to the train, dead. Uh, people trying to rescue the outlaw. On and on. All kinds of stuff that you can do there. I recently did that in my Dark Sun game. And I'm actually doing it again. Although right now the thing being escorted across the plains is the players. But, you know, that those kinds of stories are great. Uh, don't rely on them too heavily because no one likes escort missions. But, you know, it, if it fits with the story, if it's something the players want to do, then yeah, there's precedent for it. And then the last Western story that I want to talk about is the approach of civilization. At the top of the episode, I mentioned that a lot of Westerns are about people wanting to escape uh, the society of the eastern United States... And sometimes that society follows them out west. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Red Dead Redemption 1 are a great example of this. Uh, usually these are set in the 1880s or 1890s uh, into the 1900s, at the very latest into the 1910s. A great example of this would be The Shootist with John Wayne. Uh, the last movie that John Wayne made, where he uh, he plays a dying gunfighter. Um, I believe The Unforgiven is like this as well. A movie where Clint Eastwood plays an aging gunslinger. Big Jake, which I mentioned as far as a manhunt movie, it's also like this. It's set in 1909. Um... And Jake is very much an old-school uh, rancher, so it's a lot of him dealing with uh, the march of civilization. But there's a lot of great things to be mined there, especially with a character. Uh, you know, if, if someone's playing an older character or someone's playing a character with a sordid past that they're running from, the approach of civilization can always make for an interesting story because when with civilization coming right behind them um there's a lot of conflict there uh the pinkerton national detective agency is always good fodder for something like this 
uh, for anyone who doesn't know, they basically functioned as the FBI before the FBI existed. Uh, they would chase people across state lines. They were hired security, essentially. They'd protect trains. Uh, they'd protect uh, post carriages. But they would also assist in manhunts. Because a lot of times working with local law enforcement would be very difficult. Uh, you know, a, a county sheriff or a town marshal can only pursue someone uh, within a certain jurisdiction. And with, uh, you know, a lot of these places being territories rather than states, it's easy for someone to slip into and out of multiple jurisdictions. So you need someone like the Pinkertons to uh, chase them. So that's, uh, that's one way that you can do it with the approach of civilization. Now, moving from uh, the, the GM side, although GMs can certainly make use of this resource as well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the characters that you can portray and encounter in the Wild West. So obviously you've got, you know, your lawmen, your gunslingers, Drifters, soldiers, uh, Native Americans, and a lot of these will kind of, you know, crisscross, mix and match. Uh, you could be, you know, a drifter who's an ex-Confederate, because, you know, you can play ex-Confederate soldiers in a Western setting, and they're, they're very much there. Uh, you know, a Native American gunslinger, Native American lawman, if you want to be like Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, freedmen are another big one. Uh, former slaves, former uh, African-American soldiers. There were a lot of freedmen in the West because out West they could get work and basically be treated as equals. A lot of cowboys uh, were former slaves, escaped slaves, uh, free men who wanted to leave uh, the East Coast. A lot of them drifted west and ended up making lives for themselves out there. So that's something that you could play into immigrants. There were a lot of Chinese immigrants, uh, a lot of Italians, a good amount of Germans, and a lot of Jewish people as well. Basically, you know, you, you come into Ellis Island, uh, maybe the East Coast is too crowded for you. You see this in the movie Fievel Goes West, even though it's it's not that great of a movie. Uh, you know, Fievel and his family, they move from New York to out West. Now, they're tricked into it, but they move out West. People would actually do that. Because out West, you know, you could get land, become a farmer, do something like that. Not necessarily have to live in a hovel uh, in in five points like you would uh, if you stayed in New York. So there's all types of different characters. And when you add in elements like the Weird West and you, you've got influences from, you know, Native American shamanism uh, with the heavy population of Chinese and Japanese immigrants, you can bring in kind of Eastern stuff as well. There's a lot of East meets West media out there that's very interesting. Uh, one of the 
best examples of this, or I don't know if best is the right term for it, but one of the most recognizable examples of this is the David Carradine TV show Kung Fu, where he is a uh, Shaolin monk traveling around the Wild West. Stuff like that is, you know, very cool. Like, Deadlands has a, a whole martial artist uh, profession that you can pursue. So there's there's all kinds of different people you'll encounter. There's, you know, townspeople who, you know, are running their businesses. Uh, maybe they used to be someone of notoriety, but they've moved on from that life and have a, a blacksmith shop or a bakery or something like that. All kinds of cool stuff. So, you're not... Not everyone has to be the same, like, Clint Eastwood or John Wayne type character. There's lots of variation. And when you don't get that variety in your characters, when everyone kind of tries to do the same thing, make the same character, that's when things can get very boring. So, definitely keep that in mind. As you are, uh creating your western game so as far as the like broad approach to it that's you know that that's all i wanted to cover as far as broad approaches themes tones that you could adopt in your game what i'm gonna do now uh we are going to switch on over to screen share and i'm gonna share some of the western resources that uh you can use as far as systems miniatures all that stuff uh, so we'll be taking a look at that here in just a little bit, as soon as I get over screen share. Here we are. So, first and foremost, uh, actually, give me one second. Okay. So. First and foremost, let's talk about Gunfighter's Ball. Uh, now, the game itself, Gunfighter's Ball, is a uh, a miniature tactics Wild West war game. Basically, it's it's the game itself is very much more of a war game than anything else. It has its own, uh, you know, rules and everything. You can get it from Knuckle Duster Miniatures. But the uh, the main thing that I'm interested in with it is, you know, the, the characters, the gunfighters. You can get bystanders, too. That's something that's cool about this. You know, they, they have bystander miniatures. So you can get just regular people, bartenders, butchers, dancing girls... Uh, a coffin frontier women a pharaoh table uh, a woman in a bath <laughs> they have a gunfighter casualties pack for $15 you can get a bunch of dead gunfighters that's interesting I like that I like that a lot laborers robber baron but they also, and, and this is what I've gotten from them in the past, they also have gunfighters. 
And some of them are just like regular gunfighters. A lot of them are based on uh, certain characters that you would recognize from uh, Western movies. Like this guy right here, Anglo Eyes. That's, that's Angel Eyes from uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's uh, Lee Van Cleef's character. And if you look, I mean, here there's a bounty hunter figure that's pretty much uh, Blondie from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Clint Eastwood's man with no name character. So yeah, they've got the individual fighters. They're all like $5 a piece, uh, which as far as miniatures go isn't terrible. But they also have uh, like historical figures. And for that, I'm actually going to go over to the... Uh, if we go here, we'll go to the factions... Action packs. And we can take a look at some of the, you know, good guys, bad guys. Uh, but if we go here to the, you know, cowboy faction. These are the cowboys from Tombstone. Uh, like right here, I've got uh, Curly Bill Brocious. I also have uh, Wyatt Earp, who I just recently painted. I grabbed one of the other ones that I painted a long time ago, but this is one of the, uh, I don't remember what this guy's name is, but he's just like a generic sheriff character. Looks very much like Chuck Connors from The Rifleman. Um, and partly that's because he has a Winchester. And that's, that's his primary weapon is that Winchester. Let's see if I can straighten this out. No, it seems like I'm going to break that. It'll be okay. But yeah, these things are great. Uh, my only gripe with them is sometimes the six guns look weird. But a revolver is a very hard shape to make look good in this size and scale. So I understand it. A lot of times, even with like the best miniatures, uh, the guns look really cartoony. But if you look here at the uh, the good guy faction pack, you've got, like, first of all, you have a character who's very clearly John Wayne right there. Um, but you also have, you know, a, a, a guy with a guitar and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can find here. If you're looking for just generic Western miniatures, this is a good place to go. They're inexpensive and they're really cool. Uh, another good place to go for generic Western miniatures, if we look here, go to Western. Uh, Reaper has a good collection of Western miniatures. Uh, these are their chronoscope figures, but they also have uh, Deadlands figures too. Excuse me. So here you're seeing some of the uh, Western characters that they have, but if we just go to the regular uh, figure finder, any material, Western. You can see some of these other things. 
graveyard sets. <clears throat> Let's see if we can find specifically the Savage World stuff. Because uh, one thing they have here, uh, some of the monsters that are particular to Deadlands are present in this uh, in this setting. Or in, in these uh, miniature lines. So yeah, like here you've got U.S. Agent, Huckster, Texas Ranger. These are Savage World specific uh, miniatures. If we keep going down, uh, you can see some of these specific uh, villains from Deadlands here, like Raven, Dr. Darius Hellstrom, Stone, Reverend Grimm. And then I think if we look this up here, we should be able to find it. The Hangin' Judge. This is my favorite Deadlands monster. It's basically an undead judge with a bayoneted revolver um, who sentences everyone to death. It's cool. It's great. So yeah, there's that. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention for miniatures, because I just saw this, uh, the game Zombicide. There's a uh, an expansion or uh, a new version that is uh, undead or alive. It's a Western set, and right now we're we're in kind of the final days of the Kickstarter here. But it comes with 88 figures. Uh, so what you'd be looking at here, you you get. Some survivors, some, uh, you know, gunfighters and stuff like that. But you also get a bunch of monster minis, uh, which work for if you're doing a Weird West game. You also get uh, a Gatling gun, which is important for uh, any kind of Weird West game where that would come into play. But yeah, here in the, the Kickstarter campaign, you've got some that are specific to the Kickstarter, like Billy the Kid, uh, Jesse James. There's another Wyatt Earp here. There's Doc Holliday, Wild Bill. So yeah, that's that's there for another... Uh, how many days are left here? 15 days, if you want to jump on that. Um, I haven't played this. I just saw it, and I thought it looked cool. So, you know, mentioning it here. So, yeah, that's another place to get Western miniatures. And if nothing else, uh, we can mosey on over to Amazon here and uh, show you kind of the, the cheapest option for... Uh, cheapest option for a buttload of miniatures. Uh, if you just need, like... Generic cowboys, Native Americans, that kind of stuff. Uh, these sets that you find online. I've got a pack like this a while back. Uh, it's a 72 pack of these uh, plastic cowboys and Indians, basically. Some of them come with horses and stuff like that. This set here, you know, you get a wagon and some totem poles, a teepee, a canoe, stuff like that, but... If you're looking for cheap miniatures, you don't necessarily want to paint them all. 
Um, this might be this might be your golden ticket here. And you can get as many as like 144. Some of them you know, you can get with horses, all that kind of stuff. These like dollar store plastic figures, you guys remember the little green army men. They they have those for cowboys too. So, there's there's that. So yeah, those are miniatures. Um, to talk about some of the options that you have as far as systems, obviously Deadlands. Uh, you guys know how I feel about Deadlands. It's great. If you're doing a Weird West game, this is uh, my highest recommendation here. If you want something that's a, of a different flavor, though, um, and I don't know if they still make this actively, but White Wolf did have a Weird West setting called Werewolf the Wild West, uh, which is, it, it's a historical setting for Werewolf the Apocalypse. Um, and all 13 Guru tribes are there. Uh, it just kind of adds a, a Western flavor to Werewolf the, Werewolf the Apocalypse, which is very uh, kind of Native American themed. So a lot of that stuff kind of carries over. It's... It sounds interesting. I've never played Werewolf. I've never played anything by White Wolf, so... You know, I don't know if... I don't know how that would play out. Um, I imagine there's... You you probably do Vampire in the Wild West, too. That, that would be very interesting. Especially if they're, uh, you know, interacting with each other. But moving beyond Weird West, uh, one of the highest recommended uh, Western games that's just straight up Wild West is Aces and Eights by Kenzer and Company. And what Aces and Eights is kind of best known for is the uh, the to hit chart where. You know, you roll to see where you hit. And certain certain rolls, uh, you know, it'll be a headshot, chest shot, all that kind of stuff. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, Aces and Eights also uses cards uh, the way that Savage Worlds does. Again, I'm not completely sure on that, but I think so. Uh, if you want to get even older, old school uh, with stuff like that, back in the day, uh, TSR, and now Wizards of the Coast owns the uh, the copyright for it, but you also have Boot Hill, which is, uh, this would be like your OSR uh, Western game. You can get it soft cover on demand. On drive through RPG for uh, $16. All kinds of stuff here. With Boot Hill. A lot of adventures and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's an option for you. They have 2nd Edition as well. Um, I don't know if they have 1st Edition, but... 
They've got Boot Hill stuff on Drive-Thru RPG that you can get from Wizards. So, you know, if you want to play some OSR stuff, that's an option for you. And if you don't necessarily want to go the Wizards route, of course, I have to shout out uh, one of my guys, uh, one of the all-time greats, Carl Kiesler. He has his own Western game from Doghouse Rules called Sidewinder Recoil. Um... Or Sidewinder Recoiled. Uh, cinematic uh, OGL rules. So I believe this would be... Uh, I think this would be like a D20 game, basically. But yeah, this would be more of the... Uh, this would definitely be more of the uh, uh, regular Wild West than uh, what Deadlands would be. He's got a couple other uh, couple other games here. Buckshots, Triple Barrel. Which is an adventure. But yeah, Sidewinder, Recoil, that's, that's another option uh, if you want to go off the beaten path a little bit and support someone who I really love on the show. So, that's Westerns. Uh, that, really, that's what it comes down to when it, when it comes to making a Western RPG. That's, those are the core elements. These are some of the games that you can play. Uh, resources as far as miniatures go. Um, and honestly, I don't understand why more people don't play Western games. I know that Westerns are... They're not as fashionable as they used to be. Um, it's That's just the cold hard truth, unfortunately. Uh, Westerns are kind of a product of the 60s and 70s. Uh, people got very much burnt out on Westerns. And they're not really in the, the cultural zeitgeist anymore. Uh, that being said, for those of you who, like me, love your Westerns, love your cowboy stuff... Um, want to explore that world in a role-playing scenario, uh, these are some of your best options. And honestly, these are some great options. These are some great games. And uh, I look forward to forcing some people to play Deadlands with me so I can use these Western minis that I've got sitting around here so I can use all the cool stuff that I'm getting from the Kickstarter. Um... I'm excited to play some Western games this year, and I hope other people will be equally excited because uh, we're going to have a blast. I'm going to have a blast, and I'm going to make you have a blast as well. So yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, as far as next week goes, I'm expecting Deadlands to be here sometime this week, so we'll probably do something next Saturday uh, as far as a review. This Saturday, we don't have anything going on, so uh, it's not going to be a stream on Saturday. But um, this week, or sorry, uh, next week, I'm going to try and get an interview scheduled. I don't know if I can or not, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, if not, I'll keep you guys posted on what we're talking about. Uh, probably not going to do another How Ryan Would Run, but if we are... There's a couple genres that I haven't touched on that would be interesting to talk about. A couple types of games. Uh, even within 
Oh, the, the context of fantasy. Uh, there's a couple things I could talk about. So, you know, that could be coming down the pipe. Uh, but until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.